Oh, good morning, Meadow Creek. It's uh, quite a joy to be back here after four long years. For those who are new in those last four years or just don't remember after four years, my name is Justin Houston. Um, together with my wife, Elena, we serve as missionaries in Dublin, Ireland, where we work with the local church as a support there, but we also train people in cross-cultural ministry through a summer internship program for Irish and American students and in a, an apprentice program where we take uh, post-grads for about two years to teach them cross-cultural ministry. Uh, but for the next six months, Elaine and I are back in the States and happy to be back where we can see some rolling hills and uh, enjoy family and, and back in our churches. And it's quite an honor to be so quickly back into a pulpit as well and back with you. So this morning I want to look together at a brief passage that we'll find in Colossians chapter 3. And we'll look together at verse 12 and 17 if you want to go ahead and turn there. I want to look specifically at what this passage teaches us about what it means to be a church that loves. So I want to start there together, reading God's word and seeing what he has to teach us about being a loving church. So here Paul writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Would you pray with me as we add God's blessing to this word? Holy Father, we are are privileged to be in your presence. We are privileged to have your word. Would you, Lord, let your spirit reveal to us your message, not by my words, but through yours. Let it dwell in us, let it grow in us, as we grow in the knowledge of who you are and how you love us, that we may love all those you've called us to. We ask you to bless this time now, in your son's precious name, amen. Amen. When Elena and I started dating, it was rather super long distance. We had met each other before when I was working in Sudan and she was working in Uganda, but it wasn't until I had actually started leaving uh, South Sudan that we actually started dating. Eventually, decided to get engaged, and during that time of engagement, while I was back in the United States and she was in Uganda, she needed to plan a wedding. There's quite some difficulty in trying to plan a wedding in America from a rural village in Uganda. But somehow she managed to do it. One of the most remarkable stories from that time is the story of the dress. 
when we did get engaged while we were in the States, she had just a whopping two weeks with her mom and her sister to start planning before she went back to Uganda to do the rest of it. During those two weeks, she spent a large amount of time going to every possible store within driving distance to try on every possible dress that she could with her mom. None of them seemed to be the right one. So she returned to Uganda, turned to her teaching, but kept looking from there to try to find the right dress. And finally, she'd found one, only to find that it had been discontinued in the United States. Her mother tediously called every, and I mean every single outlet in America that sold that dress, looking for one, only to find that no one had it anymore. It was a little disappointing until at one point someone finally realized that while the dress was sold in the United States, the designer was actually from London, and she still sold it there. But you couldn't mail it back to the States from London because of a deal that the store had here. So from Uganda, she got online and ordered a dress from London to be sent to friends of ours. At that point, actually, only I knew, and Elena had never even met yet. In Ireland, the plan started to hatch. We were going to Ireland to meet there and have our first site visit to see if that was where we wanted to go as missionaries next when we were married. So Elena flew from Uganda and I flew from America and we met in Ireland where she was able to open a box that had been sent from London that had a wedding dress. And as she tried that dress on for the first time while I took a nap from jet lag in the other room, she FaceTimed her mom. And it was perfect. The dress was pretty nice, too. (laughs) And I remember seeing her come down that aisle and the beauty of it in that dress when I got to see it for the first time. But one of the other things I treasure is the picture that they took of her face when she tried it on with her mom for the first time over FaceTime. It's just absolute joy. Smile from ear to ear at having found what she'd been looking for. At finding this beautiful dress and the way it fit and just knowing what that was leading towards as well. And so, I packed up a dress in my carry-on and brought it back to America. As she went back to Uganda to explain to a credit card company why suspicious activity of a charge coming from Uganda to London, back to Ireland, and then to the United States was going through. But all of this story really is just to tell us that what we're looking at here in our passage today is an even better experience of putting on new clothes. Because when we're born anew in the love of Christ He doesn't just cover over our old, ratty clothes. He takes them away. He burns them. He washes us clean. And he dresses you in his perfect righteousness just like a bride on her wedding day. So what do you do when you have such extravagant clothes put on? Do you just immediately go and then, you know, rub dirt all over yourself and smear your face with mud? Or do you adorn yourself with makeup? Do you go grab some of that garbage juice from last week and dab it on just a little bit to smell like that? Or do you you put on fragrance? 
to have an aroma that smells as sweet as you look. Now, when we have a new clothes to put on, the first thing that we do is we accessorize. And that's exactly what Paul is calling us to do in this passage when he speaks to the Colossians of the love of Christ. He says, you have been clothed in Christ. Now it's time. It's time to accessorize. Not to go back to your old ways, but to live as Christ has lived. Earlier in this passage, we see where the church was told to put to death the old ways. Not just take off the clothes they were wearing and go hide them in a box, keep them in the closet, take them out when you feel like it. To put to death the old life, to put on this new life. He uses that same phrase, put on, time after time in this passage, showing how important it is through his emphasis. Put on Christ and you put him to practice. You don't just put him on and then just lounge at home. You put him on so that you can put into practice his life. So he reads to us this way in looking at this passage. He, he speaks specifically to us. He says, Meadow Creek, put on compassionate hearts. Put on kindness and meekness and patience. Meadow Creek, bear with one another. Forgive one another. And what's going to hold all of this in place? Love. Meadow Creek, we are called to be a church that loves. And I could stop there and that could be a great point to end a sermon. But let's give it a little bit more emphasis and unpack a bit more of what God is commanding us here of putting on love as we find in Paul's writing. And so as we look at this passage, what I really want to look at is, is to look at why we love in the first place. Who we are to love, when we're to love, and, and possibly more importantly, how then we are going to live out this love. So as we work through those questions, as we work through this passage, let's look first at this idea of why do we love? Why do we even want to be a church that loves? Why do we love at all? I mean, the easy answer, the very Sunday school answer we've always been taught, just as the Apostle John tells us, is that we love because he first loved us. But let's unpack that a little bit. We come into a loving relationship with him, and it's, it's not because of anything we've done. We've done nothing to earn this status. And yet Paul tells the church in Colossae they are chosen. They are set apart. They're beloved by God. All descriptions you'd see also of Israel in the Old Testament that you would see of the church throughout the New Testament. And all that it means is that we're loved and we are loved on purpose. God has not made a mistake in loving you. He knows what we are. He knows what we have done. And he loves us anyway. And he loves us so much that he gave us his son to redeem us. We are literally loved into his kingdom. Christ gave his life, the ultimate act of love. But just knowing about this, it's not what brings us into relationship. Paul's describing here something that's way more than just head knowledge. He's describing the experience of grace. This is a real relationship. 
not one of convenience that we jump in and out of as we please. Nor is it just a ritual where we go through the motions, we check the boxes. Gone to church? Check. Read my Bible? Check. Posted a scripture on Facebook? Check. Those aren't bad things, but they are not what is the heart of the relationship. Think of it like this. Do you have a favorite movie? A film that you've, you've loved? You don't love it just because you saw the movie poster telling you that it was coming. You don't love it just because you heard somebody else talking about it. You love it because you've seen it. And more than just having seen it, you watch it over and over again. You quote it to your friends until they're really tired of you quoting it. You wear the t-shirts. You buy the merchandise because you love it. Or how about your favorite meal? Do you love it because you read a recipe somewhere in a book or a magazine and you thought it sounded good? Or you saw the picture on the cover of Southern Living and it was like, yep, that's my new favorite meal. How you love a meal because you've tasted how good it is. You start asking for it for every one of special celebrations. That's my birthday meal now. And, and it only my birthday meal if it's cooked according to great-great-grandmother's recipe because that's the way it's done right. That's the one I love. And when you go out, you order that same thing no matter what restaurant you go to. And you make everybody try it. Even if Elena never wants to try my food, you make it as soon as you sit down. And oh, you've got to try this because I love it. I want you to love it too. Do you love Jesus because it seems like the thing to do? Because you were brought up and heard about it? Or do you love him because you've had his love lavished upon you? Because you're in a real relationship with him and you want to spend time with him, to talk to him, to tell him about your joys, to tell him about your sorrows, to introduce him to all of those that you love as well. To mend the relationship whenever you've done wrong because you can't stand having anything between you. Why do we love? Because we know and are fully known by God that loves us perfectly now and forever. That's why we love. Which brings us to who we then love. Because when we know why we love, the answer to the next question should fall naturally into place. Jesus taught on this point, saying that the law is easily summarized by loving the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. And we can't really improve on that. And Paul doesn't seek to here. He only seeks to emphasize it. To remind the church in Colossae that this is what God had called for. And it hasn't gone away. That we are to be a church that loves. So he reminds his readers, both then as even as he reminds us now, that putting on love, we are expected to show that love to one another. In verse 13, he says, bear with one another in love. And bear with one another in love doesn't just mean put up with that person, Be okay with them being in the same room, but it's okay if you sit on the opposite side and don't even look at them. Bearing with another person in love is not just putting up with them. It's lifting them up. It's it's coming shoulder to shoulder and taking on that weight, even as they take on yours. And he tells us to forgive one another as we have been forgiven. 
later on in verse 16, he's going to say, teach each other, counsel each other, worship together, give thanks together. Are you sensing a theme? The church that loves, loves one another. It's not exclusive. We don't love whoever is easiest to love. In fact, Paul knows we won't have the easiest time doing this. That's why he starts out with those instructions of bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Because there's going to have multiple chances to do that. Love is not insular. We don't come together to hoard our love and keep it locked away behind four walls and some doors. We come together in love that we might love better. Do you know what's better than than just one person here at Meadow Creek loving? Is everybody at Meadow Creek coming together to love? The whole church loving as one, as we have been called to love our neighbors. We need to be that kind of church, a church that loves, that loves the least and the lost and the lonely that loves the outsider and the outcast, that loves like Christ has loved us. Because we know why we love, and we know who we love. The Lord has made us to love himself and everyone else. Which leads us to ask the question of, okay, well, when am I supposed to do this? And that might seem like a silly question that, I think I I know I need to be reminded of this because too often I live like love is a lamp that you can just turn on and off whenever you want to rather than thinking that it's the sun that illuminates everything perfectly all the time. I don't think I'm alone in having to remember that love is not a moment-to-moment thing but an always. We see this in the text as well if you Get a little nerdy for a second and look at the original Greek. When he says, uh, put on, or he says, clothe yourselves, he's using the word endososte, which is an aorist imperative middle. We don't really have an equivalent in English of the aorist or the middle tenses, but really what he's saying is that uh, the middle voice would be something where the subject has a personal involvement in the action, and, and the aorist is indicating that that action has been done and will remain done, and and so, to translate this with some of what Paul is emphasizing, he's, he's telling us here, all of you need to put this on yourselves now, once, and keep it on. When we love, it's now and forever. There's no question here of, of when, it's, it's always. Love's not a game, it's our life. There are no timeouts, no halftime, no breaks, no days off and holidays. We don't come together on Sundays to be a church that loves. We come together because we are a church that loves, not just on Sunday, but every day. We put on love from the moment we know Christ, and we never, never take it off. Love grows on you. And how love grows is really where I want to spend the last of our time. Looking at what it looks like to be a church that loves. How we can actually live it out. 
Because you can't just be a church that loves by saying that we're a church that loves. You have to lead, live it. You don't get it by just writing it on a sign, taking an ad out in the newspaper, or probably more likely these days, putting on a Facebook page. It's not just there because you say it's there. It's there because you live it. And the first thing we need to know about how we live as a church that loves is that we don't do it alone. We're called to be in relationship. We are called to be with God and with others in this. You don't love by ignoring the one you love. We're not called to sit alone in a corner, staring across the room with longing, just thinking about moving and doing something. We're called to be up and active and engaged, loving. It cost us something. Loving is an investment. That means you put something in. That means all of us put something in. Now we may add nothing to our salvation. That is a gift of grace. But the love that comes from that life that has been renewed, the Holy Spirit that lives in us, that leads us to live and to give. You cannot be a half-hearted Christian. God doesn't just give you a piece of a new heart. He gives you a whole new one and one that is made after his own. And trying to be in a relationship where all you do is take, that's not love, that's not a relationship, that's, that's parasitic. We're called to be the opposite of that. A people who, who pour into others, even as we have been poured into. What we've received from the love of the Lord, we, we pass on. His unending love, we pass on to others. Indeed, this does come at a cost. It costs everything. I was always taught that the opposite of love is not hate. It's selfishness. As Richard quoted last week from Doug Kelly, that was a Doug Kellyism. The opposite of love is selfishness. It's not where we are against others, it's where we turn everything in on ourselves, where we make it all about me. Love is self sacrifice. So our question then is, if that's what love looks like, if it's sacrifice, how? How do we do it? We give. We give our time, our gifts, our passions, all to be used, not simply for our own good, but for the good of the kingdom. Are you a gifted teacher? Find chances to teach. If you're a gifted builder, look for those who aren't and help them with their projects. Are you a gifted musician? Then find ways to lead in worship. I love hearing the stories of churches and how they find the most creative ways of using gifts. Whether it's from the church that brings deacons together to the parking lot to fix people's cars because there are those who have no idea what goes on under the hood and can't afford it. To those who have their youth going from house to house, to those who are shut in and can't take care of their lawns just to manage every now and then to mow it down for them. 
God gifted us imagination and creativity because he's a creative God. That's one of the first gifts we can use is to be creative in realizing the gifts that we have can be used for others because none of us is without a gift to give and probably a lot more than one. If you don't know what you have to author, nothing is more precious to offer than just your time, your interest. Speak to someone and ask them to help you figure it out. How can I love others well? Maybe it'll look like volunteering with children or maybe it'll look like helping with maintenance around the church. Maybe to just like inviting someone over to your house for a meal and enjoying some hospitality of getting to know them on a deeper level than just Sunday handshakes. Maybe it'll look like bringing them together into a new prayer group or home group and and together asking these same questions of how you can, as a group, love others well. Maybe it'll look like something we haven't even imagined yet, and how beautiful would that be? To see the Lord loving through so many of us in so many ways. Like light when it hits a crystal and explodes into color on the room. So is it when the love of Christ pours from us into others and fills the space around us with his light. But the one thing that love won't look like, it won't look like idleness and indifference. It's time to realize that loved by God, we cannot afford to stand on the sidelines. We're called to suit up to put on the clothes of Christ's righteousness, and to get into the game. Paul describes us for this in his passage, saying that we are to put on compassionate hearts, a heart that comes alongside one another, another heart that is breaking, and to love them through the hurt. We are called to put on kindness, seeking others out, not waiting on them to do something, but to seek out relationship. We're called to put on humility. And do remember that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And too often we think self-deprecation counts as humility. If I just put myself down, I'm humble. Putting ourselves down is not humility. Humility is putting others ahead. And we are called to put on meekness, which these days we... We tend to think of as just weakness, possibly because we just love rhyming things. But meekness is not weakness. Meekness is true strength of being willing to put aside our own preferences and desires so that others can be put first. And we are called to put on patience, bearing with one another, knowing we're not perfect and neither is anyone else. And we're not going to get this right the first time. Or maybe the second time, or maybe the hundredth time, and neither are they. So we love them and forgive, even as we're forgiven. The word of the Lord will be with us as we put on patience, as we put on meekness and humility and kindness and compassion. And we'll see that word come alive in us 
as we teach others from that truth, as we encourage others from that same truth that is an encouragement to us, and as we worship together in that truth. And all of this is woven together and held together by one thing, by love. We look at Christ, how he has loved us, how he has loved you, And we turn to everyone around us and we imitate that love and that life. It's a radical lifestyle, counter in every way to the ways of the world. But this is what we are called to be. Meadow Creek, we are called to put on love. To come together as a church that loves. How then will we answer that call? Will you pray with me and ask God to help us in that? Almighty Father, what a joy it is to know that we are loved in such a perfect way, and yet what a challenge it is to know that we are then called to love in that way. Thank you that you are the strength that enables us to do that, to know you, to love you, to love others, it comes because you never stop loving us and pouring into us. Lord, would we treasure that? And by the strength and power of your Holy Spirit that enables us, would you teach us to every day grow in becoming more and more like you and you who love us and never give up on us? Lord, would you teach us to be a church that loves Amen.